0: Thanks for listening to the Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults Podcast. We pray that this lesson would be a blessing to you. Aren't you just grateful? Grateful that he meets you right where you are. And you know why it's because he is because he is a sovereign God. And he has all power. And yet, he's not separated from you. He's touched by the feeling of your infirmities. He cares for you. He's not just a king. He's your king. He's not just the God. He's your God. And he cares for you. You're not just another person in in the number. <laughs> he knows you. He knows the hairs on your head. You're his child. He's your father and he loves you. And with that comes a certain identity that you are a child of God. That you, he is your king then then you are his servant. And with that identity comes a certain way of living. And that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. It's kind of activities that, that we have. I'm so thankful that the Hussies gave me this opportunity to speak to you. And as we move along in our lessons, we are talking about a subject tonight. I have titled this lesson, Faith and Favoritism. It was originally, I'm just gonna let you know, it was originally judging others and that scared me. I saw that in the note and I was like, ooh, I don't wanna do that. I'm gonna change this to something nicer. But here I am telling you about it, so it doesn't matter. Have you ever been to the grocery store, and maybe not like a relative of yours, but you've seen a little child, and they've noticed something on the shelf that they want, and they're not allowed to have, how do they typically react? Sometimes not good. Hopefully it's, you know. But perhaps you have seen or perhaps heard from aisles over a child wanting something, and maybe they're even crying or they're screaming or they fell on the ground. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. And I've babysat a child like that before and it's terrifying. But if they are little, sometimes they haven't yet learned that life is hard and that you don't always get what you want. right? And so they react in a certain way. But when you're a child, all you have to respond is in a childish way. Now, if I did that, if I went to the store and I acted that way, I don't do that. I don't know why they're whispering over here, but I don't. (laughs) It would be odd, right? Like people would be like, why is that woman, I want it, I want it, I want it right now. Like they would probably pull out their phones and be like, wow, you're a grown woman, something's wrong with you. You've had enough life by now that you should know, you just don't get whatever you want. Because you're grown, you're an adult. You're a grown woman, JC, or a grown man, so your activity should be based on your identity. Why am I saying all this? Because eventually you have to move from being to doing, from essence to action, from inside to outside. Your actions start to match who you are. If you have a tree that's good, then the the fruit's going to be good, all right? If there's a tree that's rotten, the the fruit is rotten. If all the fruit on a tree is bad, you're going to say something's wrong with this tree inside, all right? And what God does is he changes us on the inside, and that shows on the outside. What God gives us, then we in turn can give. And when God gives us grace, then we should act Gracious. We should live lives that show that we know God. So the atheist would say that that you're probably just an accident. You're honestly just like a more evolved animal working on your instincts. But also you should live on a higher level of morality, which doesn't really make sense at all. But Christianity really gives us the answer that Christ has touched our lives and changes the way that we live. So now we can act in a moral way. Why am I saying all this? All of this is so simple that you're like, yes, we know, we've been there. Well, when you're touched by grace, It changes everything. And James talks about it in his book, really throughout the whole thing. And he never says, this is what I love about the book of James, he never says, just do it, just do the right thing. He explains it. You can ask a question and he's going to answer it, right? So he says, rejoice in trials. Why, James? Because you know that your father is a sovereign Lord who runs the universe and he'll take care of you. He says, read the word of God and obey it. Why, James? Because the word was brought to you. It brought you to life. And because it taught you about Jesus, it's been planted in you. And it's given you the power to live a great life. He never starts with the activity. He starts talking about identity first. So you've been given a new life. It's produced a new lifestyle. So if you want to turn with me, James chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridle not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, This man's religion is in vain. All right. So what does that mean? The religion is in vain. It means it's worthless. He said everything that you're doing, it's it's just worthless because you seem to be religious, but then you're saying whatever you want. All right. So if God has touched your heart, it changes your mouth. Jesus even said that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right. So if God touches this, then it should affect this. All right. James goes on to say that a a fresh spring can't produce salt water. All right. So your words should be kind. Your conversion then impacts your conversation. I admire doctors. I could never do that job because it would just make me panic because I would just be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with you. Please don't. That's too much pressure for me to have to decide. So you see the symptoms. You have to piece it together. If you have a disease, then you show those symptoms. And it's the same with our walk with God. If I'm doing this, then people should see the symptoms. James goes on to say in verse 27, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. So he's saying, if you really want pure religion, undefiled before God, then it says to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Somebody say worthwhile religion. So when you understand what God did by coming to visit you when you were needy, then you start to do the same. Right? So there's two directions here that faith in God should look like. It should look like caring for those in need, and it also should be personal, the way you talk, the way that you walk. And there is kind of this debate in this verse, right? Which is true, is James talking about social justice or personal morality? The great thing is that James says, yes. It's both of these things. Pure religion is to visit those in distress and to keep unstained from the world. When God touches you, you should do both. And God will challenge you in both of these areas so that you're equally encouraged and also equally offended. It's to say that I can do this and I also have to change. And James takes it even deeper. And this part is about to be convicting, all right? Verse 1, he says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. That means you cannot hold partiality in Jesus. Partiality means favoritism. In the Greek, it's a combination of receive and face, which is really brilliant because James just kind of made this up. It doesn't show up anywhere else, all right? (laughs) So what does that mean? I want to receive your face, (laughs) Okay, it means I'm not going to make distinctions and value judgments based on your appearance. I'm not gonna walk into a room and determine how valuable or how worthy you are based on how you look or how I perceive you. James says you can't do that. Partialities, it's plural, any kind. Any kind of partialities, we don't do them. We cannot show favoritism based on anything. We don't discriminate on race, on gender, on age. Where you came from, where you grew up, how much money you have, how much money you don't have. James isn't saying that you can't see these differences. He said you can see them, but you better not make value judgments based on what you see with your eyes. right? Which really brings me to our focus scripture tonight. Matthew chapter 7. If you want to turn there. As we go through this Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus says on the matter. And he's talking about your eyes. He says, Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be met to you again. And why do you look at the mote that's in your brother's eye, but you don't even consider that you have a beam in your own eye? These are strong words. Jesus says, you hypocrite. You first have to cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then you can see clearly to cast the mote out of your brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before a swine, lest they trample them under their feet. Jesus is saying, you've got to worry about you. Before you try to go and try to fix everybody else, you have to focus in on you. And you can't hold favoritism and hold on to faith. James really emphasizes in his verse, he says, the Lord of glory. In the first verse, he says, the Lord of glory. Why? Because he wants to show us that Jesus is the glorious one. The glorious one that came to you when you were a mess, the Lord of glory. There's nothing he needs that you have. There's nothing he needed when he came to you. You didn't have anything of value. So you offered him nothing, but he came to you, which means that it's not so much about, he didn't come to you to, to get something that would add to his glory. He came to you because he knew that you had value in the sense that he had created you and that he could use you for his glory. So the glorious one comes to you, but here, this is where it becomes tricky, because if the glorious one comes to you, and then you walk into a room, and then you start deciding who is worthy and who is not. that he came to you when you were dirty, and so you come into his house, and you start deciding who is worthy and who is not. And you, you can't base your judgments on people based on the externals, on what you see. And James goes on, he gives us an example of this, of what it would be like to judge others. In verse 2, he says, For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and then there also came a poor man in vile raiment. So the man with the gold ring, which is just one word in the Greek, which is very funny to me, the man with the gold ring, he comes in and he's in goodly apparel. In the Greek, it also means shiny. So he comes in, he's shiny, all right? So clothes, they do show who people are, they show what you value. And these clothes show that this guy was successful. He has a gold ring, he has goodly apparel, and the poor man in this vile raiment, it was dirty. So one comes in all put together and one can hardly keep from falling apart. And James says, if you pay attention to the one who is shiny and you give him a good place, you say, here, come sit by me, sit right here. And then the man who is smelly and you tell him to please just go sit down at my feet. As humanity, we do this. Okay, so there, there are scientific studies that show that attractive people get out of tickets. That they, they could just say, I don't want to pay this ticket. They get out of tickets more, which is just kind of unfair, all right? For any of us who have ever gotten a ticket, that's just kind of unfair, right? And that is, that's insulting for me to bring up. I'm sorry. All right, it's a normal human response to say that I, I like to look at beautiful things. That's a part of humanity is to say that, that I like things to look a certain way, aesthetic, as we would say, right? Like I I want it to all look a certain way. But James kind of challenges this part, the part of us to say that, hey, you drew a line and you put some on one side of the room and some on the other side. You took a judgment call. You walked in, you pulled up the throne of judgment and you said, you're worthy, you're unworthy, you're worthy, you're unworthy, you stay, you go, you come close to me, you stay far away from me. And James says, if you do that, you're not just a judge, but you're an evil judge. Why is it evil? Well, James gives us a couple of reasons. One, it's because you're moving opposite to God. Favoritism flows opposite to God. Right? In verse 5, he says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? James is saying, God's trying to move in one direction and you're going in the opposite. God's trying to draw people to him and you're trying to push them away based on your own judgment, based on your own perception. Where God's saying, you know what, I love the poor. They're rich in faith and I love them. So he's deliberately moving towards them. He's deliberately moving towards those who are hurting, those who are lonely. He's moving towards them. In fact, Deuteronomy says that the the Lord, your God, is the God of gods, the Lord of Lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Alright? He's saying, I don't, I don't have any of this. The fact that that you can you make these judgment calls, I'm God and I don't even do that. Now, what James is saying, he's not saying that all poor people are are good and rich people are bad. No. He's saying, even those who are poor in spirit, people If they are poor, they understand their need. They acutely feel their need. And those are the ones that are receptive to God. And it's sad because sometimes we can get this idea of like, man, I just wish we could get all the cool kids. I want all the cool kids around me. If I could just hang out with, you know, everybody who's got it all together. But that's not how God works. God works in everyone and he's concerned with everyone, those who are hurting, those who are the sad, down and out, the sad, the lonely. And James is saying, you don't even wanna be around them. You don't even want them around. You see, Jesus came to me when I was a mess. So what does that mean? I'm going to move towards messy people. God is moving towards messy people. I'm going to move towards messy people. Right? This doesn't mean that I'm saying, like, get in bad relationships and, you know, give all your money away. That's not what, what I'm saying. All right? Because Jesus even says in Matthew 70, he says you don't cast your pearls before swine. You have to be mindful of this. But as a believer, I have to say, okay, how do I move in the direction that God is moving in terms of people? How do I see people the way that, that God sees them? James didn't even say, give money away. He just said, go visit. All right? He's saying, move towards them. This is why we have to reach out to other people. If we all look alike and we're all the same, then you're not kicking the poor guy out. He doesn't even know where to find you. We can say that we're the church everywhere we go. But does the poor guy even know where to find you? Does he even know what door to knock on? Some people would say that it's real special, that we all act the same and look the same, but James would call it something else. He would call it evil. I'm not saying you can't have Christians and you should have friends who are Christian and are like you have the same values as you, but what I'm saying that makes the church special is the connection with people that are different. The fact that anyone is welcome that anyone is welcome to sit at my table. Anyone is welcome to come here and sit next to me. I'm I'm not gonna judge you if you seem like you're hurting, if you seem down. I'm not gonna judge you if you don't dress a certain way. You see, grace should put you around people who are not like you. That's what grace should do. You See, it's okay to be shiny. It's okay to be shabby, but we all sit together. We're all in this together. So we treat everyone with grace. Why do we even show favoritism? We all do it. Well, James says this in a couple questions. He says, in verse 6, he says, But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? So he's being very specific for that time. The Jews were oppressed. Again, he's not saying all rich people are bad. Joseph of Arimathea had lots of money, so he bought the tomb that they could put Jesus in. All right, You can be rich and full of faith, and you can be poor and bitter and hateful. All right, But he what he was saying is, you're moving towards people because you're hoping that they elevate you. You're even moving towards people who are dishonoring God Because you're saying, I think this could help me. Why? Because they're shiny and you're hoping that the shiny rubs off. To say that I hope that their, their reputation, I hope what they can give me helps me. That's how people are. But here's the thing. At some point, Jesus came into your life. You don't need the shiny. You don't need to actively move towards people in hopes that your reputation can be better. What's wrong with you as you are right now? What is it that you're hoping for, waiting for? And Jesus didn't come to us because we had it all together. He loved us when we were still sinners. And so he treats both the rich and the poor the same, and then he treats the cool and the weird the same. And so, so do we, because God controls our story. People don't determine you. And the reason that you get so exhausted is because you're trying to be a drain, and you're trying to draw from people. And you weren't meant to be a drain. You were meant to be a fountain. You step into the workforce and you say, man, I just wish I had the popularity of that person. I just wish I could move ahead in this company. I just wish I had this kind of reputation. Or I just wish that they would invite me to sit with them in the break room. Or perhaps on the college campus, I just feel like I'm always not fitting in. And so now I need people to make me feel like I'm enough. And now you become a drain and you're just trying to draw from people who are opposed to God even. And you're not meant to be that. You are meant to be a fountain. And here's the second reason. Why this is wrong? Because a lack a lack of love insults the lawgiver. James says in verse eight, he says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, you do well. But if you have respect to persons, ye commit sin, and are convinced of the law as transgressors. He says, If you love people as you love yourself, you're doing it. But if you have respect of persons, if you think they're cool, they're not cool, they're weird, I don't want to hang out with them, that's sin. Verse 10 says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Because you can't pick and choose what you do. That's insulting to the lawgiver." Perhaps as a kid, your parents said, you need to go clean your room. Okay, you can't turn around and say, no, I brushed my teeth already. So I don't need to clean my room. That's insulting. Your mom would say, I'm not dumb, right? But when we say, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm coming to church, I'm, I'm giving, I'm... I volunteer, I help out, I'm on the worship team, I fast once a week, but yet you're still judging and assessing others, then we're insulting God. We're saying, God, I'm not going to take you the whole of your law. And he loves all of those people. He loves every single one of those people. The people that you're like, I don't know if I can even have a conversation, so I'm just going to ignore them when they say hi to me. I just feel awkward when I talk to them, so I'm just not going to, and maybe they'll get the picture. He loves those people even and when grace touches you, it changes everything and we should see some symptoms if we have the disease. So James wraps all of this up saying that mercy triumphs over judgment, that God brought mercy to you so you get to bring mercy to others. Jesus broke through all of our walls and he loved us. He came when you were still a sinner. We can't just throw that phrase around as if it means nothing. While we were walking away from him, While we were stuck in our own bad decisions, when we were a mess, he didn't write us off. He didn't cancel us. He didn't dismiss us. He came and he sat with us. And when I said, Jesus, I need you, he showed up. Even when I was a mess, even when every other person would have looked at me and would have said, what could I even do with that? He said, I could do something with that. He came and he spoke tenderly to us and he took whatever sacrifices he needed to take so that we could have the Holy Ghost. Lived homeless, Jesus said, I can do that rejected by people? Some of your friends? Jesus said, sure, I'll do that. Died on a cross? You got it. Rise from the dead? I'm there. Why? Because he said, I'm going to take all of your tragedy, and I'm going to go into a tomb, and when I rise, you're going to rise, and your identity is going to change. Now you're a child of God. You see, I really think the reason that we have such a hard time giving grace to others is because we have a hard time giving grace to ourselves. There are very, very few people in the world that really think that they've got it all made. That they think they know everything. They don't need any help. Those are very, very few people. And I know who I'm talking to tonight. The reason that it is so hard to give grace to others is because it's hard to give grace to me. Because it's hard to give grace to yourself. Because sometimes you look in the mirror and you say, there's too many deficits here that I gotta make sure that I'm surrounded by the right people. I gotta make sure that I'm putting on the right clothes. I gotta make sure that I'm I'm putting on this right front because there's too much deficit here. What would it even mean if I started hanging out with that crowd And, and what would people think of me and maybe I'm not enough and I've gotta be good and I've gotta dress the part and I've gotta be the part and I've gotta be perfect and so I gotta make sure that I'm perfect and when I start looking at other people and I'm seeing the deficits in them, it's reminding me of the deficits in me and so I'm gonna push that away because I don't wanna look at that. And the reason that I have such a hard time extending grace to other people is because I don't want to accept it for me. Because that means that I have to look at me and I have to accept grace. And it's so much easier for me to give God my best and give him my best praise. And I'm going to present this to you, God. But it is so hard for me to bring my weaknesses to him willingly and say this is where your strength is perfect, God. Because look at this. Look at all of this that I have, God. And is there enough grace for that? Because if there's enough grace for me, then I can freely give it to whomever. But that first part is so hard. It's so hard for us to get to that place to say, God, I'll accept grace. Because that means that I'm in need of it. You see, the danger is not, it's not just in the fact that we have sinned and need forgiveness. The danger also comes when we stop believing that we can sin. When we don't, we don't want to face that kind of hurt and say, man, I am in need of something more than myself. I do need, I do need that grace because when I have that grace, when I look in myself and, and I see the grace, then it's a whole lot easier for me to give to other people. But first I have to accept that I need it too, that I need this, that it's not the people that I associate with. It doesn't matter how often I try to tell myself that I'm good. I've got it made. I am the hussy's favorite. Everybody in this room likes me. The reason you have to convince yourself of that so much is because you don't actually believe Or if you think if I could just work a little harder, if I could just do a little more, then maybe. If I could just have the right friends, then maybe. And so don't come and don't associate with me because I don't want anybody to know. Because what does that mean for me? Because I don't think I have enough. Because I haven't fully accepted the grace of God for me. I told my class in IBC earlier this week, I said, you know what, in five years, I hope I look back and I say, man, 2023 JC was a wreck. She was rough. Because I want to be able to keep growing. There comes a point where you have to say, man, like I got stuff to work on too. And I'm glad of it. I'm glad of it because I can't accept my humanity. I know it's there. And that's why God's grace steps in and it helps me and it shapes me and it changes me. And his word changes me and molds me so that I can be who he wants me to be. I can continue to grow. And so there comes this point where if you want to fully accept and give grace to other people's humanity, then you ought to be able to do it to yourself too. You ought to be able to accept that and allow God to give that to you as well. If you would, why don't you stand? Now, usually I don't do this, all right, but I really do specifically feel like in our prayer, there's a few things I want us to specifically pray for tonight. One, I want us to first repent. Say, God, I know, I know there's stuff in here. I know there's attitudes. I know I've made judgments. I know there's thoughts that I need you to correct sometimes, and I want you to be able to do that. I wanna give you access to that because I know, I'm fully aware that I am capable of sin, and so I need you. But then I want you to pray for those who are not like you. I want you to pray for people who do not think like you, that do not have your same personality, that do not have your same interests. And I want you to pray, God, give me an understanding because I don't know, if I grew up in that neighborhood, I don't know how I would respond. So give me understanding, God. Help me to see people the way that you see them. And help me to know how to interact with them. And then I pray, I want you to pray that God would lead you to people who need him. That you have a heart to care for other people and you have the courage to step out and find them. Alright, so there's three things. I want you to first focus on your humanity. Say, help me God. I need you. I need your grace, Lord. I know I'm human. I know that I make mistakes, God. I want you to pray, God, help me to understand people who are not like me. Help me, God, to have eyes to see them the way that you do and and help me to know how to interact with them. And then third, I want you to pray, God, lead me to people who need you. Help me, God, to have courage to step out and find them, to get out of my comfort zone and out of my space and out of my circles and where I feel comfortable and help me to reach people, help me to move towards the people that you are moving towards. Right now, right where you are, why don't you lift your voices if you wanna kneel, you kneel. If you wanna stand, stand. But why don't you just find a place start to start